clip. That's what? What's the idea? Well, what's the big idea? What's the big idea? What's the big idea, Egghead? What's the big idea? Welcome back to What's the Big Idea. Today on the show we have Tom Bond. And Tom is a founder of the Nonviolent Communication Center of New York City. Um, and for those who are uninitiated, nonviolent communication is this incredibly powerful framework for addressing interpersonal relationships, communication, conflict, and easily one of the most helpful uh, communication frameworks and techniques that I've been able to integrate uh, into my coaching practice, into my men's work. But it all is foundationally based on this idea of needs consciousness, of understanding that the reason people do things is always to meet their needs. And what Tom really introduces is this idea through the lens of compassion is that when we understand that people are doing things because they are trying to satisfy needs, we can find our common humanity in that, that we can connect with people through that. And Tom has, has taught hundreds of thousands of people uh, in this modality. So he, he is truly a master. And so if you've heard about this book, which I believe probably many of you have, and you want a crash course, or if you just want to go deeper with someone who understands the ins and outs, practices it, teaches it, but really lives it. He's just he's just a cool guy on top of being a great teacher. This is a, an amazing introduction to nonviolent communication, to compassion, and how we can practically communicate and think about our relationships to build deeper levels of connection in our life. So without further ado, here is Tom Bond. Welcome back to What's the Big Idea? I am here with Tom Bond. Very excited to have you on the show today. Tom, how are you doing? Thanks. Uh, yeah, I'm doing very well. Thank you. And where are we reaching you today? I'm in the Hudson Valley, uh, about 60 miles north of New York City, Manhattan. Sounds like a pretty beautiful spot for quarantine. It is actually. It's it's just the right amount of uh, uh, being away from it all and not being too far away from it all. <laughs> and what's what's your relationship with the Hudson Valley? How long have you have you been there, and what called you to to head up there? Um, I got up here when I was 18 years old. I went to college at New Paltz University, about 15 miles from here. And I I guess I got I've, I've gone other places. I mean, I've lived in Manhattan. I've lived. Uh, quite a few places, but I always come back here. It's just feels like home. Beautiful. Well, yeah, I'm very excited to have you on the, the show today, Tom, because, you know, after exploring your work and just reading a little bit about what you're doing around the world, it's, you are truly a, a master facilitator, workshop leader, teacher, and so much of the stuff that's most exciting and interesting for me to explore and talk about with guests is really some of the under the underlying techniques frameworks uh container setting that facilitates this really powerful transformational developmental work and mm -hmm. uh, so i'm really excited to dig in and and you know the the crux of what we're going to be talking about today and your big idea really comes down to compassion and mm -hmm. so to to set the the foundation on which this whole conversation and exploration will be based. Can you just provide us with your personal understanding of compassion and what that is? Yes. Uh, and it's interesting because if you, uh, a lot of folks think of it as pity. And <laughs> when I talk about it, it's the second or third definition you'll find in the dictionary. And it's this virtual, it's just this caring. It's, it's a, an uncontrollable, it's it's a, a a sensation. It's an experience that we have when we're really in connection with other human beings and in connection with ourselves as well. And it really is. It's just this genuine organic caring that we're capable of. And when did compassion become a focal point of your work? 
when did it first register for you as something that was not only really valuable for your own experience, but something that you were going to commit yourself to the exploration and, and cultivation yeah. of these, this idea and work? Yeah. Um, well, my background is in engineering. And so what I am trying to do as an engineer is leave the planet better than I found it is the best way I could say it. And so in that pursuit, I'm, uh, whether I was working, I used to work with solar energy, alternative energy and energy conservation. And so, um, e even in that pursuit, I was always looking for the, the technology that would work the best. And that's kind of what engineers do. I, I, I consider myself an engineer. And so what do engineers do? We apply technology to problems and make the world a better place. And so I used to do that with computers. I used to do it with solar energy, um, a whole array of, but mainly in the energy conservation and alternative energy field. And about 20 years ago, I read this book called Nonviolent Communication, a Language of Life, and written by a guy named Marshall Rosenberg. And what he put in that book was basically this idea that when we become acutely aware of one another's universal human needs, that we suddenly, organically, care about one another. And so we, what he did was he discovered a new relationship to compassion. We, we used to say, you know, you better be compassionate or, you know, or else, right? Um, you'll be punished. And so it never came as a, as, or it didn't, I can't say it never came as, but it wasn't presented to us as an organic thing. It was something that we had to really work at and we should be doing. And what Marshall came up with is this, simple idea that when we can, like I said, get connected to our, our needs, our own and one another's needs, our relationships change. We care more. We're more connected. And so that we call compassion, right? In other words, empathy engenders caring or compassion. And so as an engineer, I'm looking at the planet and I'm thinking, what one thing can we apply that would have the most effect. And from an engineering perspective, right, you want that. If you're going to try to solve a problem, you solve it at the root or you do the thing that's going to have the best overall effect, efficiency. And so this hit me. I'm like, wait a minute. I've, like, imagine, imagine a world. I mean, we've been trying to do this for a few thousand years. Imagine a world that's full of compassion. What does that affect? Well, you, you can't have compassion and poverty. You can't have compassion and violence. You can't have compassion and separation. And so this one thing, right? Compassion applies. To, it has this effect uh, on all these different aspects of our human existence. And so when I saw that, it's like, this is a no-brainer. This is what I want to do now. And so I look at my life now as not engineering buildings or improving the environment, but doing it other ways by giving us a, a sustainable future and helping us to enjoy life more and love one another more. It's beautiful. And you use some words. One of the things that we like to do on the show is also just extrapolate on some of the terms uh, that come out naturally in conversation mm -hmm. so that the audience has a chance to really kind of learn from some of those. And so you used the word empathy earlier. And I think it'd be, again, like helpful to set that context of, I think that understanding that. And so when you use the word empathy, what do you mean by that? Yeah, that's, that is, I, again, thank you for the question because it, it means different things to different people. And in the work that I've done and the, what I've learned from Marshall Rosenberg is that when we talk about empathy, what we're talking about is not necessarily even what you might see in the dictionary, right, as a definition, but this other thing, which is the pursuit 
of the understanding or the understanding of one's own or other people's feelings and needs, very specifically feelings and needs. So when I say empathy, what I'm doing is like if I'm being empathic with you right now, Andrew, I'm, I would be wondering, how are you feeling right now? And what are you needing right now? What needs of yours are alive in you right now? And so it's that wondering that I call empathy. And it's that brand, you could say, of empathy, that wondering about what you're feeling and needing uh, is that that's what creates that special formula for us to be able to start caring about one another. And even in cases where, you know, w- people have done things that we don't like or we may have even found abhorrent, this is a way for us to not approve of the circumstances or the actions, but to despite all those things, find a way to get reconnected. Because what if we can't? What if, what if every time somebody does something we don't like, we can't figure out how to put it back together? So this is a way to do that. And, and so when you think about empathy, that, that wondering, does that mean that it is an, cause oftentimes like empathy for me, I, I've internalized that as, as feeling what someone is feeling. Right. And I think something that's interesting for me is the idea of, is it the intellectualization of what I think they're feeling or is it actually feeling what someone else is feeling? Or their need. It's the third thing, which is <laughs> to have. A, I'm going to have my own feelings, whatever they are, right? But but it's going to be it, it's going to be in relation to what that other person's experiencing, and so it's not that I'm co-experiencing it or having a sympathetic reaction. What I'm doing is I'm having a deep understanding of their experience. Why? Because I'm a human being too, yeah. And I have feelings and needs, and so when I say. I just, I'm devastated right now. I'm just so confused right now. You know what that means. It doesn't matter who I am. It doesn't matter what I did. You can understand that. And that's, that, that, that's what the empath, that, that's what empathy can do, right? It can help us understand each other on this human to human level. And again, I'm going to go back to specifically when we say this, we're talking about the understanding of feelings and even the connection to those feelings and needs. But it doesn't mean I'm co-experiencing them. I'm connecting to them. I know you're hurting and I, I'm really taking that in that you're hurting. I'm not hurting with you. I care that you're hurting, but I'm not having a sympathetic hurting with you, which I find to be way more empowering because now I can come from a place of understanding and, and I can help you understand what you're going through and I can see what you're going through and we can see what each other is going through this way on this level. And when you, you, now that you've laid the the groundwork there with, with empathy and and compassion, Mm -hmm. how would you articulate the relationship between the two and how they support the practice of compassion? Well, I believe it's um, A equals B. Really, it's that that empathy it, it directed very again at these universal human needs that we all share. We don't all share our ideas. We don't all share our opinions or our cultures or our languages, but we all share our feelings and needs. They're the same everywhere. And so that's what so that's why we want to get, you know, through through that empathic place. Beautiful. And then the the last one, because I think it would be so powerful for you to to offer this synopsis for people, but it's um, you, you mentioned nonviolent communication and, and Marshall Rosenberg. And I've already told everyone about your involvement with the NBC Center in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you were to help people understand what nonviolent communication is, yeah. how would you introduce people to that framework? Yeah. Um, it's it's a way a lot of people think of it as a way of talking, but it just it's a way of thinking. It's a perspective. It's a set of ideas and concepts that are based on really what we've been talking about. And that is that there's something else going on here besides ideas, opinions. Um, there's feelings and needs going on here. And, and I know I keep saying that over and over again, and it can sound really corny. But when we really start to look at what I am talking about, is 
uh, like, what do you call somebody without needs? And um, the answer we'll usually come to is dead. And so what that means is that we're, we're learning to operate not in the realm of ideas as much as in the realm of ideas that are fueled or happen in the understanding of the experience of life that we're all having together. And it's that empathy, right? It's that remembering that every one of us is going through this together. We're all going through this together. We're, we're all, every one of us has experienced pain. Every one of us has experienced loneliness. Every one of us is learning about life. And so that's the place where we can meet. We can meet at, in, at our humanity, and that's why it works so well. I work with people, our, our biggest problem is getting past the language barrier. This, this makes us want to jump across that barrier because it's universally human. And I, and to me, again, that's the thing that got me so excited about this when I first saw it. And, and it's, you know, events are bearing out what I was thinking. And that is that there, there's universal acceptance. In China, in other words, this matches, let's say, with the Confucian ethic. It, it doesn't really, it, it doesn't, uh, you know, it, it doesn't create a conflict. It doesn't create a conflict ju with Judaism or with Buddhism or Christianity or Islam. It matches all those things because all those things are human. And it, it's interesting. All those, all almost all religions talk about compassion, and so. This is great. This is a little toolkit. Doesn't matter what your religion is. If you want to get tune up the compassion part, then that's that's what we do. That's what that's what I do anyway. I'm 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 working on that. Totally. I mean, the, you know, my own experience of of NVC of like I always think of the I, I've just given myself the internal Offner mm. uh, acronym of observation, feeling, need, request. Yes. And and so the idea of like experiencing something with my wife here, you did this. Um, when you did this, I felt this way to my uh, need in that moment that was not met, that triggered the, you know, the observation and the, the, the feeling mm -hmm. and then a request of practical. Here's what I'd like in the future. And I think what's what's happened and how in my own experience, it's in, in engineered and endeared kind of deeper levels of compassion is because what my own exploration of, of NVC has empowered me to do is to just notice how much of my experience of the world is like a judgment of other people or the world based off of my own needs. And yes. so to be able to, I love um, just the, the idea of being able to meet people where they are at and like the, the whole person. And as I, as I got deeper into the work of understanding just being more conscious of my judgments of other people and the world yeah. and, and bringing that back into my own experience versus hype, hyperbole and, and, uh, you know, prejudice and, and other things like that. Yeah. And so that's, that's where it's been really valuable. And so, you know, I'm curious because we, we've kind of laid some of the framework here and I'd love to just get a little background on, on you. And if you were to, so you talked a little bit about being an architect and so, um, in your study of, of NBC, um, you know, when you, when you started to really focus on compassion, what was the moment in you, like what happened or what did you realize where that became the through line of your own personal work and what you started to develop with the, the compassion course? Um, wow. I, I just want to actually, Andrew, I want to step backwards for a second. Cause you said something that's really powerful that I don't want to skip over. <laughs> okay, um, great. Which is about judgments, you know, because you were asking me, like, you know, what is nonviolent communication? What is this? And it's I want to be clear that it's an alternative. Right. It's an alternative. But what how does that even work? And I think you nailed it. And that is that if we decide to go the route of judging, we will have a very specific result. Right. In other words, if we're going to interact that way and I'm going to say, let's, for, for example, let's get crazy here. And I'm going to say, Andrew, listen, man, I got to talk to you about how stupid you are. <laughs> right. 
Are you going to be like, ah, oh, Tom, thank you, man. I couldn't wait to have that conversation. I, 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 right? That's not happening, right? And so, and you know, anybody who's listening, imagine that somebody came up to you and said, I want to talk to you about how stupid you are. How, what kind of connection is that going to create or, or disconnection is that going to create? And that's what judgment does. And look, judgment has a place in the world. I mean, we use it. It helps us somehow, but it also hurts us somehow. And that's what I, I want to be able to make an alternative for when it's gonna, when it's kind of hurting us. And so the thing that Marshall, uh, and something that I really like to emphasize is that all judgments, and this is like almost like a parlor trick. It's like almost like magic. And that is like, if I have a judgment, it means that I have an unmet need. And so when I know that, I can change the, the conversation into away from being a judgment conversation to being a needs-based conversation. And so instead of saying, Andrew, let's talk about how stupid you are or anybody who's listening to this, imagine if somebody came up to you and said this, you know, I really want to have more partnership and more understanding and flow between us. And I'm wondering if you'd be up for talking about that. And there's the new conversation. And that's one of the things I find absolutely beautiful about this work is that we, when we can learn to spot those judgments, to notice them and not shut them down, but to translate them into this other thing that's so usable, right? Which is our desires for life. So I'm sorry, Andrew, I just couldn't pass that up. I really I, no, to... I, I, I love that. I, I honestly wanted to that go happened. back and I, I wanted to go back and actually in, invite in kind of an example so that we could see it, you know, in practice to see how that language practically shows up. And I think that you're framing there again, like, you know, I have a desire for more flow between us. And even if you were to go deeper of like, if you were to, to go through kind of observation feeling need requests of like, how does that language usually show up in a, in a conversation that you've worked with thousands and thousands of people now? What, what are kind of some of the most consistent situations where that, the framework is, is helpful for endearing, you know, deeper connection and, and compassion between people? Well, I've, I found that the framework is really helpful as a, uh, as a way of measuring my education. It, it, it Knowing the framework unto itself, right? That, that kind of sets the goal. That puts what Marshall did was he came up with this, what he calls the model observations, feelings, needs, and requests. And all of that comes from a deeper experience of what we've been talking about. And that is needs consciousness. So needs consciousness itself is not a model. It's an awareness. And when we live in that awareness, what happens is we start to think more like the model or we, we, we become more concerned about or we focus more on feelings, needs. And then once we're focusing more on feelings and needs, we understand the importance of making observations instead of judgments because this is all about creating connection, by the way, right? That's what this is for. It's not about changing behavior necessarily. It's really about creating connection. And so yeah. that's what this does, yeah. right? And so the idea of the observation comes from the awareness that judgment disconnects us. And so how do we talk about things without judgment? Well, we do with observation. Hmm. And likewise, you know, feelings and needs. Well, we talked about that. That's the stuff of life that we all share. And so that's always a part of the stuff of what we're doing. And then requests, which I love, is how do you move in the world now that you know all this stuff, now that you live in the awareness of needs and you get that we're all going through this together, how do you start moving in the world? How do you start making changes in the world that acknowledges that, that respects that? And so that's what a request is, actually. It's a way for us to act on our needs and even on other people's needs if we so choose, but to do it in a way that's um, voluntary for us and all of the folks around us. And so it creates a different experience in our world 
because people around us are doing things not because they should, but because they want to, because we have a deeper sense of connection between us. Yeah. You know, it's it, one thing that, that came up for me is when, when you first talked about needs consciousness, I, I had this, this moment where I immediately started thinking about my own needs. Mm-hmm. And then what I, what I realized of like so much of what, what occurs to me is, is the value of this as it, as it relates to endearing more compassion is that if I even think about my experience with say my wife mm-hmm. is that as most people are, are not taught how to communicate Outside of this context of, of judgments and hyperbole, you are this, the world is hard, you know, and, and so if someone comes to me, like you said before, and I got, you're stupid, right? right. This judgment of me, or if my wife says, you're never present, right? Um, then what happens is with the, the, the awareness of needs consciousness, uh, and again, in my experience, I'm able to hear what she says, the judgment of me, but also immediately I'm, I'm also aware of a deeper need in her that's not being met. And so rather than responding to, to just her like spoken words to me, which I hear, mm-hmm. there's also awareness of something else there that I can, I can try to connect with in that moment. Exactly. Which, which doesn't necessarily put me into a loop or a trigger that, that, that takes me out of a place of, compassion and and wanting to understand her and what her needs are and and what she yeah what she wants yeah that's the goal right that's to be able to do that and actually i like to be able to teach how to fail at that too uh because (laughs) can you say can you say more yeah it's tough it's tough i mean we're all humans you know I, i worked with marshall quite a bit and he would never ever give up the title of human which means you know, do, do I live to the highest of my ideals? Of course not. I'm a human. But it doesn't stop me from having these ideals to move toward. That's all. And so I don't want to make believe this is something that we become superhumans about. No, we're going to fail. And so I want this to be achievable, but I want us to be able to fail and understand that it's worth it. Anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. And then, you know, <laughs> and then we'll get good at it after we do it poorly for all. It's a lot like Frisbee. And, and so, you know, that's how I, I, I want to approach it. So when I hear you say that, I'd be like, wow, man, that, that's like Super Bowl material. Somebody's telling you, you know, you're, you're an idiot and, you know, you, you could get triggered and you could be like, oh, no, I'm just hearing their pain. Well, whoa, whoa. I mean, I want to be able to go like, wow, wait a minute. And let's say and I'm going to introduce you to my three favorite words. What is that? Right. So I'm like, what is that? What has got me bugged? And then to be able to make sure that I'm not doing this just to be a nice guy, but that I'm doing this out of a response to understanding what my needs are and what the other person's needs are. Right. So it's a pretty, it's a lot to do in that split second there. Right. Um, yeah. But the the thing is, what is that? And, and the answer for me is always going to be like, what is that? What is that need that just what ran out the window? Yeah. And and what is that? What what might I do? And wh- what do I want to do right now? And so yeah. the answer to what is that and what do I want to do right now could take two seconds, right? It could take two years. Totally depends on what happened there. Yeah, that's that's you know as as you said, uh, what is that in uh, Gestalt communication? They often say it's like, what are you aware of now? Right. And and right. what. What, what, I've, what I've been taught from some of my mentors is, again, it's the idea of uh, three words that, that we always pay attention to when we're in circle or on men's retreats is, I don't know. Mm. And, and oftentimes what we see after someone says, I don't know, is a, they jump into a, an ideation or thought or something else. And what we say is like, no, like th- there's a desire to fill silence with something because it's oh, uncomfortable. Yeah. Right. And what we say is like, if you're, if you're immediately going into something else, you know that already, you're probably talking about something that you know, or that you've thought about before. And what's oftentimes more interesting or valuable is being with the, I don't know, what is that? Yeah. And holding space for people to be in the, I don't know, without any sort of judgment or pressure to figure it out on a timeline, yes, uh, which is inter- like obviously more available in kind of a, that's you yeah. know a, a container like that, but mm-hmm. it's a key to being empathic, actually, right? Empathic isn't about knowing; it's about wondering. It's about creating space. 
And I, if you think about it, like, does an answer fill or make space, right? It fills space. Does a question fill or make space? It makes space. So if I want to make space around somebody, if I want to let them, you know, have their full human experience and, and in the case of empathy, right? I'm, I'm really working at that. It's going to be the silence. It's going to be the questioning and the curiosity that actually creates the result, right? That is the res- the result is what will fill the space. So what I'm doing really, it's a big part of empathy is to create that space, not right? Not with my opinion about what you're going through, but my curiosity about what you're going through. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is, I, I'm, I'm, Really loving this, Tom. I just had to say that I love hearing your your thoughts as we go through this. And so, you know, I think that because you you are such a teacher in this, I could I could lead this in some directions. But what I'm, I'm most curious about is when you are leading off with people who are opening up to this type of work, mm-hmm. where do they where do they start? What is what is you talked about needs consciousness? Is it identifying yeah. needs or where do we where do we start to open up to this work and, and integrating it into our relationships, our communication, yeah. our, our behavior? Yeah. Um yeah, I'm a training maniac, right? So I'm really I'm so glad you're asking me this. Because I'm trying to figure out what is the best way we can get this out there. And so what I've learned is it kind of comes in stages. And that is the first part or, or is to even know that this is a possibility, to know that we can think this way. Who I mean, like, who thought of that? You know, we were taught to judge people. We were taught the right and wrong, should and shouldn't. And so the first part is to literally just to distinguish this idea, the set of ideas. And what is that idea? So the basis, the first thing I want to tell you ever, ever in the whole world about this work is that we can look at all human actions, all human actions. I mean, I'm talking about, Andrew, everything you've ever done in your life, right? Everything you're ever going to do, everything any of us right now is going to do, we can look at what we're doing as an attempt to meet a need or needs or a set of needs, right? And that's the very basis of the work, you know, because I was talking about how when we can become aware of our universal human needs, then, then, you know, that's when the magic happens. And so, Well, how do you do that? Well, we start to identify the correlation between our actions and our needs. And it turns out that we can look at every, literally, every human action as an attempt to meet needs. So here comes the next weird part. I'm not saying it's true. We could argue about this forever. We could say people do things because they're evil or because of this or because of that. And so I'm not even saying this is true. In fact, yeah, I was a philosophy major in in college and I spent a ton of money to find out that I actually don't know it's true. And so what matters to me is how do my beliefs work out? Like if I think this way, how is that going to affect me and and those around me. And so that's what this is really about. And so that's the first thing I want to tell you that we can, and I'm going to ask you to maybe even just for an hour, right? Let's just look at all human actions as an attempt to meet needs. And then what happens is we start seeing each other as humans because mm-hmm. we all have those same needs, right? So that's how, that's how I, I move in to just see that that's there. It's a real thing. And anybody can experience this. You know, I, I put a, I have an online exercise I put up about 14 years ago, I think, actually. It's called the exercise dot uh, org. And people can go through this process of wondering about their own experience and then wondering about somebody else's experience. Well, and would you mind kind of extrapolating a little bit on? So if 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 it starts with identifying some of our own needs, can we only do that in an in an instance or a moment where we're relating to it, or can we do more of kind of a holistic overview of like well, our yes. our needs as a person and how those are driving a lot of our behavior and communication subconsciously? Yeah. Well, there's two things that bear attention. I think one is 
what I mean when I say feelings and what I mean when I say needs, because those are defined many different ways. And, and so when I say needs, I'm not talking about a car. I'm not talking about a spouse. I'm not talking about a job. I'm not talking about really any physical thing on this planet at all. What I'm talking about is the impulses of life. Remember, before I was saying, what do you call somebody without needs? You call them dead. And so that's the first thing to get, that we're really not talking about cars and houses and things like that. No, we're talking about things like safety, shelter, care, love, creativity, companionship, shared understanding, understanding, fun, play, water, air, all the things that we share. And this, you know, uh, but we don't share cars. We don't share apartments. We don't share how we go about meeting those needs. And so the way we meet our needs isn't universal, but the needs are. And so that's why I, I want to stay so focused in this very specific definition and this very specific view of needs. And likewise for feelings, when I talk about feelings, it's, we have a funny thing about feelings. Like I've, have you ever said the words or, you know, I, I ask anybody who's listening, have you ever said the words I feel unheard? You know, or I feel cheated. I feel abandoned. And, and uh, those aren't feelings. <laughs> They're not feelings. Those are actually accusations of what somebody did to us. And so the reason I, I want to know that is not so that I can tell people that they're wrong, but so that I can really tune into what feelings are. They're not ideas. They're sensations. They're experiences in the body. They're, uh, to me, they're like the aura of my needs. They're these things that are very clearly related, by the way, to needs. And, you know, you hear me talking about feelings, needs, feelings, needs. Well, there is a, a very specific correlation. And the reason we want to pay attention to feelings is because it tells us about our needs. You could say that our feelings are like radar for our needs to let us know on a regular basis how we're doing. You know, I, I do a lot of work with, uh, with young people and, and college students, and I, I don't remember where I heard this quote, but it, it basically translated to a lot of people are doing things or trying to achieve goals because of how they think it will make them feel when they do it. Mm -hmm. It's they have some sort of premonition or projection of when I have that job or that partner or I'm that weight, mm -hmm. I will feel this way. Mm -hmm. And that it's not, it's not the weight, right? It's a, and it's an interesting way of, of goal setting. And I know I use it a lot for, for career mm -hmm. is it's understanding like what are the underlying feelings that are, are kind of associated with those goals that we've set for ourselves. And what are the because, needs behind it? And what that? are the needs? And what are the needs behind it? Exactly. Because yeah. oftentimes what I find is that people have these aspirations that feel totally out of their grasp, especially when they're younger and they don't mm -hmm. have money or resources or connections. But when we can identify that they want to feel creative, when they can identify that I want to feel connected, of yeah. whatever these are, then we realize that oh, wait, I don't need to have that job to feel that way. And so right. certainly I can still have these goals, but that also makes where they want to allocate their energy and their attention much more accessible. Yeah, and, I have. Right? Yeah, I like to think of it as a, a, a framing it more in the needs than in the feelings. In other words, what needs would I yeah. be meeting in this pursuit? And the reason I love to do that is because of the creative aspect, which is of this. Which is, um, when I think of a specific thing to do, right? Like if I set my goal on being, let's say, a doctor, I've got two choices in my life now. I'm either going to be a doctor or I'm not going to be a doctor, <laughs> right? Yeah. And that's a, that's a heck of a place to be. That's a big bite. So, um, what, uh, what I could do instead is say, well, why do I want to be a doctor? What is it that that would do? What needs would that meet for me? Well, it would give me a sense of contribution. Uh, I'm guessing challenge, meaning. And so um, what happens is 
as we start planning our lives, we can actually get better at it in a way you could say. Because I know people who have become lawyers and doctors and then they got their first job and they were like, oh, how about that? I don't like that. <laughs> um, so if I know if I'm in pursuit of a need, then I can monitor that. Right. I don't know if the, I don't have to wait 12 years to find out if that if that plan worked. And, and so uh, I, the way I like to say it is there are 10,000 ways to meet a need. 10,000 ways, right? When you, how many ways are there to have fun? How many ways are there to contribute? How many ways are there to have a meaningful life? And so when we can move into needs consciousness, then we give ourselves an incredible creative boost, you could say, right? In how we look at our lives and choose what we do. And just in more direction, right? Yeah. Which I think, yeah. And many more choices yeah. to do that. Sometimes we think the only way I'm going to be, you know, happy is if I do this thing. And that may be true. <laughs> maybe it's not true. Maybe what's really going to be is maybe I'm only going to be happy when I meet these needs. And I think this thing is going to meet those needs. And so the thing that I love about the work that I do is that I can check that <laughs> because I'm aware of needs. And I can say, yeah, does that ring a bell? Does that do that for me? Wow, no, it doesn't. Lucky thing I figured that out now. Instead of figuring it out with my head, I actually get to figure it out in in the actual experience of it. And so what is your awareness of your own needs and, and how your work aligns and feeds those? Oh, well, um, purpose and meaning way on top of the list. And, and that comes via, um, and, and there's, there's a creativity for me here as well, uh, and contribution. So I, I don't worry. Yeah. I, it's, it's, uh, I'm very, I'm satisfied. You could, I could drop dead tomorrow <laughs> and I'll be like, okay, that was a good one. <laughs> It's a probably a nice feeling behind that statement. Yeah. A little That's scary, true. but it's true. What can I say? <laughs> I'm not inviting anything. I just <laughs> Well, I love I love the idea of I, I have a friend who just wrote a book called Death Over Dinner and, and one of the things he says, he says that a conversation about death is always inherently a conversation about living. Mm-hmm. And like it's like one one infers the other and so it's oh, yeah. it's a conversation about how you want to live and so I love that. And so you know, we bring it back to compassion. And so we've talked yeah. about needs and this consciousness. And so, you know, I'm curious if we think about the, the inflammation and integration, like interpersonally or like how this, how this is effectively deployed situationally in our relationships. Mm -hmm. What, what comes up for you is kind of the next step. Um, well, it's interesting. Uh, in terms of taking this on as a practice, often we take it on, um, well, here's how I, I see it. It's like, imagine, uh, you discovered this new game today. It's called football. You never heard of it before and you were invited. And so you were like, Hey, Tom, I found out about this game. It's called football. And tomorrow I'm going into the Super Bowl. How are you going to make out in the Super Bowl? probably get killed in there, you know? Uh, and so I, I'm putting this out here almost like a warning label that a lot of times what we want to do is use this in a Super Bowl situation with a, a parent or a spouse or some, you know, area where we have a, a you know, a long period of unmet needs and, and perhaps even devastation or trauma. And it does work. It does, just like brain surgery works. But you have to get good at it in order for it to work. And so in terms of pursuing a compassionate life or or pursuing a life uh, that has more harmony, the very first place to start is internally. A lot of people learn, you know, that learn this as nonviolent communication, which means you're already thinking about talking. And what I wanted, what I like to do is think of this as compassionate thinking or compassionate living, uh, where, um, 
I'm incorporating this not as a as a model or as something to follow, but as as a way of seeing the world and as a way of conducting myself based on that. So the first part is just to learn to see the parallel universe of needs, right? That life energy that floats all around. And so in terms of taking this on as a practice, that's the very first thing you do. You learn to see feelings and needs. And um, that's like that exercise that we, we that I talked about earlier. It helps us do that. Um, but there's a study to it. There really is. There's a science to it, you could say. I, I love that idea. Of, and I think that I'm probably guilty of this. My, my mom is a, a, an author and a speaker focused on communication and mm-hmm. helping people to communicate and articulate their ideas. And, and I've kind of taken that on of, I've always wanted to be able to communicate what it is that I'm learning or synthesizing or putting it into communication. And I love that idea of it as really kind of the mindset or the, like the needs living or thinking and yeah. that step first of how that precedes the interaction or the thing that's, that's shared with another person. It's amazing. First. It changes it all. It's like, it changes the pretext of, of your communications in a way. Are you familiar are you familiar with the authentic relating at all? It sounds very familiar. It's, um, it's, uh, um, it's just a really beautiful practice. And um, I learned about it at a conference several years ago. It came out of uh, Ken Wilber School in Colorado. What's it mm-hmm. called? Uh, yeah, Integral Center. And mm-hmm. one, of the, one of the things that they say that makes me think about what you just talked about was um, when you're having a difficult conversation, they would, they would approach the, the first step as doing nothing. Mm -hmm. And I, and I love that because to honor the doing nothing as something, right. Right. Not immediately going into that. But I thought of that when you think about of honoring the thinking and the the being aspect of it Mm -hmm. before communicating is really pivotal to then getting to that step the way that you'd like to. Yeah. Yeah. So what happens is, right, we get the the fodder, if you will, we get the, the working material when we start seeing the parallel universe. And then we start creating processes with that, right? Whether it's mourning or mourning unmet needs or whether it's dialogue or whether it's empathy or screaming or what do we call screaming compassionately. There are all these different things and and even how we choose to you know what how we choose to live our lives we start referencing this so this you know i'm saying there's like these different levels that we are so the first one is you go you, you look you see that parallel universe and we're never completely done with that but then but then we start working with it and referencing it and living from it and it is i i have to say it is incredibly it's a lot smarter than i am and so, you know, I'm curious as we've been we've been working through this and it, it makes sense, obviously, to, to me and probably to a lot of our listeners. And I'm curious, what are the biggest objections or resistance that you usually get from the people that you are training or working with to implementing this or why it does yeah. not work? Well, there's two parts. One is that um, a lot of folks learned about what I teach, not completely they learned it as uh, something that they thought they could catch in a morning workshop and so if i told you that you could learn brain surgery in three hours and you took a three-hour brain surgery workshop and you'd be like i can't do brain surgery this stuff doesn't work so (laughs) the first part is to make sure you're actually getting enough of an education and that you're signed up for enough of education to make it work so i call that getting over the line right like getting good enough at it that um, it works. And so you naturally want to do it again. And in the case of this, uh, this kind of work, that can be a pretty long run up time, you know, before you get that, that moment like that I had with my father, or we all have our first big NVC moment where it really works for us. But you have to stick with it for a while and fail quite a bit before you get that real positive feedback from the from from the work. Um, So that that's one thing that's kind of a long lead time, you could say. And that's not to say you don't get something immediately. Just from even understanding that, it, it, it can be a, a huge a huge life changer, just being able to see that. Um, so, yeah, I think um, – let me think. Yeah. So 
right? It's the seeing the parallel universe. It's the it's the functioning with it and in reference to it. What about um, yeah? And what what I would what I would say is is having this this mindset this frame using this belief to to show up in a conversation. What about bringing something like um, NVC, this type of compassion, into a relationship where your partner is not versed and, and how you can prepare to? So if you are coming into a situation focused on compassion yeah. and high needs and you are in a context where someone else is not committed to that and very much grounded in a way of being, of, of judgment, of criticism, whatever that may be, what how, what do you say to people who try to integrate this into a relationship where people are not necessarily on the same yeah. plane or using the same? You can't framework? integrate this into somebody else. First of all, let me just say that right there. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to integrate this into you. And and what I say about this work, and thank God I learned this so early on, is that how hard is this to learn when you want to learn it? It's pretty darn hard, right? You've, you've been through this a bit, right? It kind of bent your mind a little bit, right? It was, sure. uh, and so it's pretty hard. And so then I got put the next question is how hard is this to learn if you don't want to learn it? <laughs> it's like impossible, right? Sure. So I just want to know this. So do I, do, if, and the other thing is, do, am I weaponizing <laughs> NBC, right? Am I like, you better do this. This is the right way to do this. And if you don't do this, you're wrong. Which kind of undoes itself. Yeah, totally. <laughs> right. So um, when I what? So just to go back to you know really the original question is if I want to practice this, this is as personal as it gets. In other words, it's got to start right here. It cannot start with somebody else or in somebody else. It has to start with me. And one of my teachers, uh, Rita Herzog, once said, you know, it was almost like a shame we called it communication because everybody couldn't wait to talk. And really the idea behind this is how we think. And that takes a little bit longer to you know, work with. And but you know, that's really the big objection, right? It's like, you want me to think differently? Excuse me. Um, that's pretty hard. It's not just information. So, yeah, so the idea being that we learn to think differently inside ourselves and we don't have to, you know, whatever comes out of our mouths will be what it is. It'll be compassionate uh, if if we are connected to our needs, if we, if we are centered in our needs. And if we're following a model and we're not centered in our needs, it'll come out as you know, something else that's not compassionate at all. But it might be dressed up like something that's supposed to be compassionate. You know, like I see their dirty dishes in the sink and I really feel anxious because I I really value order and, and care and, and health. And so now will you clean up those damn dishes? Right. Uh, what? What? I just practiced. I just practiced nonviolent communication. <laughs> right. you, you, you mentioned a term in there. You said your your first everyone has that first big NBC win. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, I think even after after reading nonviolent communication, I have one that, that comes to mind for me. But mm -hmm. I'm curious for you as you started studying and as you were with with Marshall, uh, what what do you remember as one of those first big NBC wins? Um, definitely, it was with uh, my father. So it was like here was a Super Bowl, and um, it's actually it, it's so funny it, this. I don't know how many times I've told this story and I'm still not sick of it. Um, <laughs> and it's because of what happened that day. And, and basically what happened was, and, and I, a lot of folks can relate to this is that, you know, I was talking to my father as fathers and sons often talk, which means that the son says what he's doing and the father says what he's doing wrong. Right. And so that's kind of how it went with me and my father. I would tell him what I was doing and he would, somehow figure out a way to criticize me you know i'd he'd say well how's it going well it's going great dad you know the business is doing well yeah but do you have a business plan i'd be like yes dad we have a business plan yeah well that's good but is it in writing uh yeah it's in writing yeah well that doesn't matter does it have a gantt chart so like he's coming at me i'm like what's going on here 
what's going on here? I'm thinking of running out of the room, right? And it's like, it's this again, this again. So do you have a Gantt chart? And so I stopped and I was like, what is that? What is this all about here? What's going on here? Mm. And, and, um, so I stopped for a minute and, and I, I was like, what is this? What is going on here? What, what needs could this guy possibly be meeting by doing this? How can I see him compassionately? And so I'm really like, yeah, this stuff doesn't work. But then this idea hit me and I was like, dad, I'm guessing that you want me to do really well out there and you'd like it if, if, if I benefited from your experience. Is that what this is? And I got to say, he was dumbfounded. He didn't know what to say for a good 30 seconds. And he just sat there. You could see the wheels turning. And it came out. Yes. He said, it's like, yes. Mm. It was amazing. Like, there it was. My, I, I, but my father just went from being this didactic, like cruel, like, you know, incredibly critical guy to this person who just couldn't figure out how to do anything else, but contribute to his son by trying to, you know, help me understand what mistakes I might be making. Like what, what could I do? And, and just to be clear, my father was a troubleshooter. Literally, he was an engineer and he, they would send him all over the world to fix problems that nobody else could fix. So his, that was his thing. That was his gift. And so after a time, it came to me like, he's giving me the best thing he's got. He's giving me everything he's got. He's troubleshooting me. And, and it just felt so different. And well, he wasn't hurting me. He wasn't belittling me. He was just trying to help and i could have seen it as belittling and and it i could have heard it as criticism and that day i heard it as something else and i love hearing it as the something else and i did for the rest of my life until he died and due to this day and it changed our relationship from that moment on for the rest of our lives together i i I feel called to just like invite all of our listeners just in this moment to, to think about their own relationship with their, their parents, you know, or their fathers, their mothers, uh, and how, how we may have judged them in those moments where they have done things that, that hurt us, frustrated us, alienated us, whatever it is. And like you just talked about again of, you know, that, that moment of you it almost like seeing your dad for the, for, like for the first time in that yeah. encounter. Yeah. And it's, um, yeah, there's something that is so powerful about that again of, and I, one of the things that I oftentimes talk about is, is I, I, when we go on our own retreats, oftentimes it's younger men, it's you know, 20 to 40 years old. And we, we do this exploration of, uh, fatherhood. And when we think about our own dads and the expectations that we have, like oftentimes what, what, the reality for them is that if you're listening to this podcast or if you are at the nonviolent communication center, the odds that you have a, a parent who has not engaged in the depth of personal development work as you is probably fairly likely. You're pretty good. And yeah, the chances good. are very good. Yes. And so to to have a, a belief system like this that engenders you really seeing them on a much more humanistic level than what they learned from their parents and, you know, they're, they're where they're at doing the best they can. And, and so I think that this, especially as it relates to parents, because I think I've, yeah. I've certainly had those moments in the past and I, so many oh, have. Yeah. <laughs> yes. What do we you do not, we don't come with instructions and, and I, I, I didn't quite get the, the gravity of that until I had kids myself. And, and, but it's, the thing that, you know, I'm just going to go back to is like, it was actually the curiosity about my father's needs that, that turned everything around. That was what put me in the place that I needed to be, right? Like to see, you, you even said it, Andrew, you were like, he's doing the best he can. I didn't have that thought. I assure you, I did not have that thought until that moment. 
And then that was, you know, all of a sudden I was like, wow, this guy is doing the best he can. He's trying to meet his needs. But I had to see that first. I had to kind of cipher that out of there. And so that's the training. That's the work. And that's what and I teach. And I'm so curious is, as you think about this, how many kids do you have? Two. Two boys. Two and boys. I have two grandchildren now. That's amazing. Oh, cool. And so how has your awareness of compassion, of NBC, played a role in your parenting? I started late in my parenting career. I was curious uh, about yeah, about how how late did you kind of learn about this stuff? My kids were just finishing up high school, getting Got into it. college kind of years. So it wasn't really part of the formative years. And so it's really played a bigger role in our adult relationships. And in fact, what it's really doing is playing a role in our transition from our parent-child relationships to uh to to adult relationship. And it's really played it's it's playing a huge role in that because it's allowing us to really kind of take uh, move through something that virtually every parent child goes through, which is that whole, you know, separation. And there's, that's an ongoing affair and it seems to be going on later and later. It depends, you know, in life uh, as we move on, but that's been a big piece for us uh, to be able to even identify that and say what works and doesn't work in our new adult relationship and uh, to be able to create those, that, that understanding. And that's ongoing. That's, yeah. that's not over yet. Certainly. And so you know, we we're at the, the hour mark here and I want to honor your time. And, and so I'm curious, you know, we've talked about this and if you're speaking to people who are thinking about, did you say crossing the line? Yeah. Getting good enough at this. In other words, if you want to take this on, Please be serious. Like, just get that. It really does take something of a, of a commitment. And I'm not trying to scare you away, but I want you to have a realistic idea of what this is. And I'm also hoping I'm telling you enough about the good parts of, right? The results. Uh, it's, it's amazing. I don't know another way, uh, to, to create this level of connection, uh, from, really intense levels of discussion. I, we didn't even, and, and this is just on a personal level and we haven't even begun to talk about the global effect that this is having. And so for, for people who want to learn more about this yeah. work, what is mm -hmm. the best way to, to dive in? Well, I'm, I'm a little prejudiced. Um, <laughs> I, I, and for, for I, there's two things that I've done. Uh, I mean, it, one is called the Compassion Course, which is an international course. It's been going for 10 years. It's an online course. It's 10 years old. Um, and we, uh, we have 6,000 students from 115 countries and it's a, uh, it's a very comprehensive course. It's a one year course and it covers, I mean, it can, it really is guaranteed if you stay with it and it's not easy, but if you stay with it, it will take you over the line. Uh, it takes you right through all the different kind of phases that I talked about, the, being able to see the parallel universe, connect to it, get through our relationship to feelings and needs and then start functioning in, in this new realm. Um, so that's the, the course. And then I put it in a book form called the compassion book. I know not terribly creative, but it got the point across. Um, so we have those two things. The course is actually starting in June, this June, and it goes for a year. And I don't mind promoting the course because I'm not necessarily making money on the course. The reason I like promoting the course is because I think it works. I would get a lot of feedback um, over, I, 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 we're just over 30,000 people have taken it now and it's, it's sprouting up all over. It's going to be in China and Poland and Russia. It's, it's just, it's, it's just sprouting up everywhere. How many, how works. many languages? Well, right now we have four, but uh, we're going to add this year. We're adding, po let's see, uh, Polish, uh, Finnish, um, French, uh, if I forget somebody, they're going to kill me. Uh, very nonviolent thing to say, I know. Um, let's see. 
yeah, and we'll see what what else we're adding, but we're definitely adding Polish Finnish. We uh, and some of them we're gonna like for the following year. We have Russian, Hebrew. Oh, and, and we also well we have now we have German, uh, Arabic, Spanish, and English. Uh, those are already out there, and we're adding this year Polish, Finnish, uh, um, and French. I love it. And yeah, and I so, but the following year we're gonna have Portuguese. So what happens is it takes a year to get ready for the you know for the translation. So this year we have I think ten translations in the in the pipeline, and it's the the course is nobody has ever been turned away from the course for lack of funds. I just want to say this right away. This is not, a, I mean, we do ask for money if you've got it, but uh, only if you want to give it to us. If you really can't, it's more important that you take the course than you give us money right now. And so, like I said, nobody will be turned away from the course for lack of funds. That's That was a very important part of this for me. Um, and so the people who do pay help for the people that don't pay. So we made our own little economy um, and it's a community. It's an amazing, amazing group of people yeah. and they're from everywhere. And you really get how universal we are. Like the parents in Egypt have the exact same problems as the parents in Brooklyn. Well, we will be, we'll be sharing it out for sure with our entire audience and you can check it out in the show notes. And you, you started this conversation, you know, talking about how you could have the the greatest impact, and it's just obvious about how you speak about it and, and how you're approaching it that you really are approaching it from a place of service. And so, mm. I I hope that you do make money on it because <laughs> you should be rewarded, <laughs> and it's such powerful work. And um, I feel called to to give you the the final word. Is is you know, the the foundation of our conversation has been compassion. And so as people leave our conversation today. Um, what is it that you'd like to leave them with on the topic of compassion? Well, that um, it's incredibly helpful to have it as an option. It's I, and that's kind of that's that's what I'm here to. That's why I'm talking to you right now. It's because if you want to have that as an option, as to, like to bring that into your life, you don't have to, right? But the, if you want to have it as an option to use when you want to. That's why I'm here. That's what it's for. And I, I don't like to think of compassion as something you're supposed to be doing. It's actually a natural outcome of us being humans together. And so if you want to do that, um, you know, have that choice. Yes, we can then, then I'll make you a promise right now. I'll do everything I can to help mm. you. I love that idea. I'm introducing it, having that choice. Cheers to that. Thank you. Thank you so much for the time today, Tom. Oh, thank you, Andrew. Okay, cool. Thanks.